Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. The man, Carroll Shelby, engineer, race driver. The car, the Shelby Mustang GT. To build my kind of car, I had to take an existing car and modify it. I could have chosen any set of wheels I wanted. I picked Mustang. Mustang is styled right. Lean and strong looking, not fat and round. And Mustang has that long list of features and options. I'll tell you, when it comes to imitations, I've seen some. But competition for the original, I haven't seen any. Only Mustang makes it happen. These aren't just words, it's a fact. Ford has a better idea. Hi, this is Gary Patterson, president of Shelby American, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Car. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can, well, maybe see me live here in the studio. This uh, pukey Facebook crapola thing here doesn't seem to want to be working right. But, hey, what can I say? Uh, don't forget to uh, – you can see us on YouTube, though, and if you tune into the radio station, you can pick us up right here live. Right, Tommy, how are you doing tonight? That is correct, Robert. I am doing very well. Big Tech is looking out at you. You know what? They know I'm a conservative and a Trump supporter, so there they go. They just are all over me. But I don't care. Hey, what it is, what it is. But uh, anyway, um, we got a great show tonight. We got uh, we're doing an all Ford show tonight because we got some really cool guys from Ford Motor Company coming on, and uh, I'm really excited about this. You know, the show's nostalgic radio and cars. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say, if you want to find out where all our past shows are, go to our archive page, which is nostalgic radio and cars, and you can go to all our archive page. But anyway. Uh, we are live, and we're in downtown Clearwater, and uh, it's cool out. It's nice. But anyway, so we got a couple Ford guys coming on tonight, and I'm looking forward to that. Because here's the deal. We've been on the air 10 and a half years now. It'll be 11 years in May. 
and it's Nostalgic Radio and Cars. So Nostalgic Radio and Cars is Nostalgic Cars, obviously, and radio, radio-related. So it would be music, obviously, musicians, uh, instruments, things of that nature. And uh, when I originally set out to do the show, I started out kind of goofing around a little bit with music and stuff. And, of course, Lee at the time says, you know, you need to get some people on the show. And I said, how do I do that? And he says, well you got to figure that out on your own. And I was able to figure that out on my own. And uh, I was able to get guests on my show. So, but I, because I'm a car guy and I really, and I'm kind of a, I like old stuff, obviously, nostalgic. And uh, I'm kind of a, I don't want to say I'm a historian, but I mean, I'm kind of into history and, and, you know, kind of the the grassroots of things and how things kind of evolve. And of course, you know, I'm in my 60s. So, you know, I kind of, I was around in the late, throughout the. I was around in the 60s. I was uh, born in the late 50s, obviously. But I started building, playing with toy cars and models and stuff like that in the 60s. So I'm a car guy. And I started reading magazines, Car Craft, Road and Track, uh, Car and Driver, you know, racing magazines, sports car graphics, stuff like that. Um, Car model science, model cars. These are, you know, magazines we had as kids, you know. Once in a while, popular mechanics. And I was interested in cars, but racing really intrigued me, particularly road racing, because in California, road racing was huge. I mean, we're out on the West Coast, and, you know, so sports cars were everywhere, and uh, obviously Shelby's were everywhere, and, and I'm a huge, huge, huge Shelby fan. Naturally, we played a little clip with Carol Shelby. By the way, yesterday was his birthday. And uh, he was born January uh, 11th, 1923. So he would have been 98 years old. Now, we had Carol Shelby on. In 2011, and uh, he was 89 at the time, and uh, I was really thrilled to have him on the show. And when I look back in retrospect, and I do this with all my shows, you know, I prep for my shows, but somehow we always manage to go tangent. But when you're prepping, you're kind of, you know, researching a little bit. But over the years, I've learned to prep and research more, you know. And, you know, and the trick is, is now I spend time researching uh, the guests that are coming on a lot more than I did back in the old days because I've learned this over the years because you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to rehash the same stuff over and over and over and over. And regretfully, I've done that in some of my early interviews. Now I try to listen to interviews so I cover either very significant stuff or I try to get the guests to talk about stuff they don't normally get to talk about so it's fresh. You know, you want fresh stuff, fresh material because if it's the same old stuff, it gets redundant, it gets old, it gets boring. Now some stuff is just cool because it's cool. And uh, even if it's old and it's over and over and over and over, it's just cool. But anyway, so I the, the gentleman that I have coming on tonight is a former engineer with uh, Ford Motor Company. He was around back in the days when the um, during the GT40 program and the development of the early the Mustang and the 289 and uh, engine and uh, you know that kind of stuff. And the other gentleman that's coming on is in charge of Ford Archives. Now. I've never actually had anybody actually on the show. Now, Lee Holman's been on a show a bunch of times, and Lee was around back in 1965, 66, 67, obviously Holman and Moody, Holman fame, and uh, so he could shed some light on it. And this is a, but he was, for, Holman and Moody was kind of like a, you know, like a, um, uh, an outsource kind of a privateer kind of backdoor deal with Ford Motor Company, so to speak, if you want to use the term. And that's um, a polite way, a correct way of saying really what it was. But, I mean, it was basically a separate organization, a separate entity, and they were basically forged kind of like your outside R&D company, if you will. Okay, but all, there was also stuff going on inside. The gentleman that's coming on tonight was inside and on the deal with Ford Motor Company. So you had Ford people, you had Shelby people, you had Holman and Moody involved. You had a whole bunch. Because it was a collective team effort to make these cars campaign 
and as successful as they did. And, you know, like I said, the history uh, is it's written in the books. And it says, you know, in 1966, Ford came in one, two, three at uh, 24 Hour Le Mans. You, the 24 Hour Le Mans, that's the biggie. You know, in the United States, it's a 24 Hour Daytona. You got the Sebring 12 Hour race. You got Laguna Seca. Back in the old days, you had Riverside. You know, those are, those are, you know, and when I was growing up, you know, Riverside, Laguna Seca, uh, Sears Point, which is, um, you know, or, uh, uh, which is in Northern California where I'm from, Kaladi, which is no longer there anymore, which was up by Santa Rosa, a lot of road racing going on. So I was around that stuff all the time. So that's why, and a lot of kids in the neighborhood, their dads had sports cars. So, you know, that, that's kind of how I got influenced by it and, uh, and, and building models, you know. I can't tell you how many Cobras I built and how many Mustang models I built. Um, and I'm a, I'm a Ford guy, even though I'm, I try to be pretty, you know, fair with everybody. I, I'm dyed in wool Ford guy. And, 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 uh, my mom, my dad's first car was a Ford. My mom's first car was a Mercury. The rest is history, ladies and gentlemen. And I've had nothing but Fords and continue to have nothing but Fords. Uh, occasionally some German crap, you know, slid in there, but, uh, Oops, did I say German crap? I said German cars. Anyway, Tommy, I think what we'll do is we're going to go ahead and fire up a song here real quick. Go to commercial. I'll come back and blab a little bit. Big shout out to our friends over there at uh, FloridaCarShows.com. And it's uh, Rib Shack Tuesday. So if you're over in uh, in in the ghetto, you know, Larghetto, that is, Largo, uh, and you're on West Bay Drive, 426 West Bay Drive, don't forget to go in and see my friends over there at Rib Shacks. Hey, say hi to Cindy and, and Corey and those guys, and uh, they'll treat you right and get you some of the best barbecue in Penelas, Pinellas County. Did I say Penelas County? I said Pinellas County. <laughs> anyway, we're having fun because this is radio. It's live, and, you know... Anything goes is spontaneous. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic in Cars. How about a little Neil Young and uh, Mr. Soul? shows then look no further than flacarshows.com on your computer or on your mobile device flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles whether you're looking for car shows cruise-ins meetups automotive festivals cars and coffees or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine then this is a site for you check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com
Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Uh, we're back. Uh, what sound effect was that, Tommy? Was that uh, airplanes? I'm not sure. What we get anyway? You're tuning to the Mustang sound effects. Was that was that a Mustang sound effect? Okay. Well, doggone. All right. Well, okay. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars. We're going to be talking about cars today. We're going to be talking about Fords. Yeah, Ford rules. You know what? I was notorious back in the day. There was a place down here on 66th Street, on Gulf of Bay, right across from the old Pantry Pride, which is where we used to hang out. You know, it's kind of that was a car hop place. And we get our hamburgers and we go across the street to Pantry Pride. And a fair amount of Fords, Chevys, Mopars, you know, that's pretty much what you had back in the day. And there was a wall there, okay? And I don't know what made me do it, but I had my handy-dandy spray can in my car, and I walked over to that wall, and I think it was a white wall. It was a white wall. Ah, I get that white wall, white wall tie. Anyway, and I got my handy-dandy spray can out there because we got in this little debate, which, you know, it was always a Ford Chevy Mopar thing, mostly Ford Chevy. And uh, I wrote in big letters, Ford rules. Now the and with an exclamation mark. And that was kind of like my signature back in the day. I was like, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. Well, what was interesting, that sat even though all the Ford guys, all the Chevy guys, all the Mopar guys all hung out there, Ford rules was on that wall for years and years and years and nobody changed it. Nobody took it off. It was on the back side. So if you were coming down Gulf the Bay heading towards the beach, you couldn't miss it. it said Ford rules. And uh, I thought that was kind of funny. I just never forgot that. And for some reason, I was just thinking about that. In fact, I was just texting a friend of mine, and I texted him Ford Rules. And uh, don't get me wrong. I've owned a Chevy, too, and I've had some Mopars and stuff. And they're all cool. But, you know, we, we can all be partial. But the thing is, is we can all own cool cars, Ford, Chevy, Mopar, whatnot. And then we can be civil about it because that's just kind of the way car guys are. And uh, anyway, on that note, I think what we're going to do, we're going to try to fire up this stereo again and then we're going to go ahead and get our guests on the show because uh, we've got two gentlemen coming on and it should be pretty interesting so stay tuned because i think it's going to be very informative and very interesting we're going to try to get some really interesting guests for you uh on the show this year and kind of what we did last year but uh it's 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 not it's, it's you know you we want we want to have you guys educated and uh, informed, and uh, we want this an interesting show for everybody. So, anyway, you tune in to Nostalgia Getting Cars. Here's a little Johnny Cash. I'd watch them beauties roll by, and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry, because I always wanted me one that was long and black. One day I devised myself a plan that should be the envy of most any man. I'd sneak it out of there in a the lunchbox in my hand. Now getting caught meant getting fired, but I figured I'd have it all by the time I retired. I'd have me a car worth at least a hundred grand. I'd get it one piece at a time, and it wouldn't cost me a dime. You'd know it's me when I come through your town. I'm gonna ride around in style, I'm gonna drive everybody wild, cause I'll have the only one there is around. Very next day when I punched in with my big lunchbox and with help from my friend, I left that day with a lunchbox full of gears. 
I've never considered myself a thief, but GM wouldn't miss just one little piece, especially if I strung it out over several years. The first day I got me a fuel pump, and the next day I got me an engine and a trunk. Then I got me a transmission and all the chrome. The little things I could get in my big lunchbox, like nuts and bolts and all four shocks, but the big stuff we snuck out my buddy's mobile home. Now up to now my plan went all right till we tried to put it all together one night, and that's when we noticed that something was definitely wrong. The transmission was a 53, and the motor turned out to be a 73. And when we tried to put in the bolts, all the holes were gone. So we drilled it out so that it would fit, and with a little bit of help from an adapter kit, we had that engine running just like a song. Now the headlights, there was another sight. We had two on the left and one on the right. But when we pulled out the switch, all three of them come on. The back end looked kind of funny too, but we put it together and when we got through, well that's when we noticed that we only had one tail fin. About that time my wife walked out and I could see in her eyes that she had her doubts, but she opened the door and said, honey, take me for a spin. So we drove uptown just to get the tags and I headed to ride on down main drag. I could hear everybody laughing for blocks around. But up there at the courthouse, they didn't laugh, cause to type it up, it took the whole staff. And when they got through, the title weighed 60 pounds. I got it one piece at a time, and it didn't cost me a dime. You'll know it's me when I come through your town. I'm gonna ride around in style, I'm gonna drive everybody wild. Cause I'll have the only one there is. Red Rider, this is the cotton mouth. Boy, how'd you like to be driving that baby? Some thrill. But you know, before that pilot could fly from coast to coast in three hours plus, somebody had to invest about a million hours getting him ready for it. There's a lot of designing, testing, and trial runs behind every new innovation or new performance record. How do I know? My name's Carol Shelby, and performance is my business. Ford with a Ford Motor Company, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Hey, we're back. Did you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars? Tommy, I just figured out what that was. That was a P-51 Mustang sound effect. Oh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's what we had. Gentlemen, none of it was an airline pilot. No big deal. It was close enough. Mustang, Mustang. Hey, guys, we got some uh, really cool dudes with us tonight on the radio show, and the first guy I want to introduce, his name is Mose Nolan, and Mose is a Ford engineer that worked... Uh, Pretty closely with the guys on the uh, Ford GT40 program. He was at Le Mans, and uh, he's got some great stories for us. The other gentleman is Ted Ryan. Ted Ryan is the uh, new gentleman in charge, the director for Ford Archives. Now, I'm interested to uh, talk to him as well because I'm kind of like a history kind of buff about cars and stuff like that. So I think these gentlemen, um, he can uh, kind of tell us what uh, what archiving is all about. So, Ted, welcome to the show. Mose, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? 
Yeah, we're doing fine here. Thanks, and I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah, hey, Happy New Year to you guys, too, by the way. Ted, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Thank you so much for having us on tonight. Yeah. All right, so, Mose, uh, give us a little background on yourself real quick for a few minutes. Tell us a little bit about uh, your early days at Ford Motor Company, because you started in the late 50s, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, I started in October 1955, and I ended up in uh, 2012 retiring. Okay. So that, that gave me about 57 years. Uh, that was long enough to get acquainted with race cars. Well, that 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 would work, and then you didn't. You never left. Now you're with uh, with uh, the Henry Ford, and you're also working over at the uh, the Ford Fairlane uh, Henry Ford and Claire Ford uh, Estate, right in Dearborn. Yeah, that was that was after my retirement, Robert. I uh, I just couldn't go home and poke holes in the couch, so I spent three days at the <laughs> museum machining parts for old cars, and then I spent. Two days a week at Mr. Ford's mansion, uh, oh, fixing door locks and the hinges and replacing uh, light fixtures and things of that nature. Very interesting work. I was privileged to do that. Interesting. Now, let me ask you, They once a year they do a very, because uh, there's a couple guys from Ford and from GM that are good friends of mine, and they have a a, a big show. Well, it's, a, it's a, like a weekend event. It's called Eyes on Design. Is that at the, Henry Fo- is that the, at the Ford Fairlane Estate? Uh, no, that's at uh, the, the Henry Ford Sun Estate in Gross Point. That's uh, Eleanor and Edsel Ford is where they have the, um, <clears throat> that event. Eyes and Design. Okay, so when you first started with Ford back in 1955, what exactly was your job description, and how did you get in with Ford? Well, uh, they were hiring uh, wide open at that time. Uh, the automotive companies were just uh, hiring uh, profusely up here, and uh, I hired in, and, and I was placed into an experimental engine build area where uh, we were building uh, future engines, uh, engines that had to go through testing and be proven before they went to the production line to, to join an automobile five years later, four or five years later. Interesting. So what was your background before you worked for Ford, and how old were you at the time? Uh, I was, uh, let's see, ooh, I was about 22 years old, and I had been working uh, heavy equipment uh, uh, rebuild and repair, um, cranes and dozers and things of that nature, and gravel pits and so on, and and the winters were pretty brutal, so I thought I wanted to get inside to a nice uh, environment and still do the mechanical work. Interesting. So, with your background, you just happen to be kind of like a perfect match then for the uh, for the engine uh, development department. Then, yeah, I uh, I was really blessed in that department. I went in and and uh, and did my apprenticeship under a a very uh, keen gentleman that also had been at the company a long uh, long time at, by that point, and. Uh, and then I just somehow got selected to start putting together some one-of-a-kind special engine stuff that was never going to end up in a car, but it was a it was a concept uh, program and things like that. So we had to be pretty particular about the parts we were assembling because uh, they didn't get the full engineering detail that uh, a production engine would be getting on its parts. So you had to be keen to make sure that the fit and finish was uh, worthy of uh, turning into a running engine. Okay, and I have a couple of real important questions I want to ask you. But So 
at the time in 55, 56, 57, Ford was still working on the uh, on the Y block, and then they were leading up to the FE motor. And so did you work on any of those, or what you were working on was totally different? Yeah, actually, when I entered the department, uh, the department was uh, maintaining both versions. Uh, the Y block was uh, being modified for special uh, applications, and then at the, over on the other side of the room was uh, the FE program was coming together. Okay. Now, this might be in the 60s, but... Ford has an engineering number. So basically, like everything that was in the 60s would start out with a C, C1, C2, C3, C4. So that's kind of how I would uh, identify, let's say, a Ford part number. I would go C1, or and this, let's just use Mustangs, because it's really C1, C5AE, or C5ZE, because Z is Mustang engineering number. So, and then on, let's say, like on cylinder heads, it would be a 6090 casting number. On intake manifold, I think it's 9424, something like that. Did, so you're up on all that stuff. Now, where I'm going with this is I have run across some parts over the years that actually had, instead of C5, C6, or whatever, it had an XE casting or, even rarer, an SK uh, casting before an, an engineering number. Can you explain that's, that? That's true. I'm very familiar with them. Uh, the engines uh, that were designed for future use started out with all XE parts, and they were parts that designation said that uh, they were experimental, okay. and uh, they were not to end up in any pre-production engine later on in the program. Okay, and SK, I've seen that. So what's SK? So I'm told that XE was experimental engine, and SK was sketch. SK did represent sketch. Uh, there was a lot of times when uh, the engineering force would get an idea for a part uh, in an engine, and uh, what they would do is they would take an XC uh, drawing of that particular part they were interested in and modify it, and uh, that would become uh, an SK. It was just basically a sketch because it was not going through the regular uh, design uh, procedure. So if the SK was uh, manufactured and tested in an engine and it was very likely uh, uh, suitable, well, then uh, it would be uh, refined and turned into an XC. But it was the same, you know, the same part, same shape, and it did the same um, chore in the engine. Okay, so when you were working in your department, were you did did were you involved in anything that was SK or XE related? Oh yes, uh, okay. I, I I worked on a lot of of uh, uh, first uh, the, the the Ford engines that went into production actually had three series of the build. Uh, that was the XE build, the SK and XE was sort of blended together. They had a. Um, parts that they weren't sure of that were were going to uh, be released in production, and then then we went got into the uh, XE, and then we got into the pre-production numbers, which they begin to carry the FDC and the ES, ECS and things like that. Okay, so when these experimental parts were put together, let's say these castings. Did they, did you, were you in that particular building where they actually did the casting and and the machining, or 
in other words, so were they kind of like taken off on this? Because I know how I'm familiar with sand casting on the blocks and stuff, but I'm not sure about, let's say, like the cylinder heads. Intake manifolds, obviously, they're done a little bit differently as well. So were you involved in that part of it, too? Well, uh, I, I wasn't involved in that part of it. That was done in our foundry, which is about three miles away. Okay. We had a, we had a specialty foundry that did nothing but uh, onesie twosies uh, that were the SK, uh, SKs and XDs. Okay. Uh, and then, then the castings come to our building, and our building had an enormous machine shop that could just about do anything. It, it even included uh, a blacksmith that uh, was there to do a lot of the tooling and things like that. So from our uh, machine shop area, it would just travel up the hall to inspection. Inspection would give it a good eyeball to the print to make sure it was the way the engineer wanted it. And then uh, he would sign it off, and then it would come into the build area and integrate it into an engine. So then you were involved with the early development of the 260, 289, 302 motors then, right? Absolutely. Uh, I uh, had no longer uh, or no sooner got into that department when uh, the FE series was uh, ready for launching into production, and right behind it was our small block, which was the the 221, uh, 260, 289, and, and then eventually the small block became the 302. I forgot all about the 221. Yeah, that was a 60, 61 engine that was. Uh, so how? So when when they came up with that motor, do you did were you was it already in the were the drawings already there so to speak, or were you there from the infancy when there was even discussion? about the small block uh, 289, 302, 221, 260 motor? It was in discussion, and uh, the draftsmen were being collected to start designing parts Okay. when I arrived. So then your specific duty was, tell us exactly what you had to do once they put the motor in your, in your possession, so to speak. Well, uh, we would uh, receive this cart that would come out of our uh, warehouse uh, crib and that adjoined the build area, the assembly area, and we would take and, and check over our inventory and create a shortage list so somebody could start running down the missing parts. And then I would start cleaning, washing, deburring, and painting parts and assembling the engine, starting with a block, laying a crank, and uh, installing pistons and rods and building up as the parts became available. There were times when we had part shortages where an engine didn't move for a week and a half because something was not available. But uh, that was no big concern because uh, you you actually had often two to three engines assigned to you that you were putting together multitasking. Okay. So basically you were given rough casting, so to speak, and you had to basically machine finish machining them and then do the fit and finish and make sure all the reciprocating parts and yeah. everything. Uh, I really didn't receive the castings. They came in uh, uh, from uh, shipping and went straight to the machine shop. Oh, okay. I, I did not handle parts till after they were inspected and come out to uh, the build area. Okay. Now, did you get the engines uh, assembled and running to the point where you could put them on a dynamometer and test them and everything? Uh, yes. Uh, your responsibility uh, was to assemble the engine, get the weight of it, and then take it down to what we call a silent room. It was uh, 
little test valves hook up the exhaust and the coolant and uh, the ignition and run it for a couple hours and uh, do uh, paper test patterns to make sure there was uh, no oil le- uh, leaks around those crank seals and things of that nature. And after you sign the engine off after about a two-hour run at different RPMs, then it would be uh, trucked across the street to our dynamometer facility. Okay. So from the time that you were given an engine, and it was still in this experimental development stage, to the time it wound up as a production engine, you said that could be four to five years. So what went on during that four to five years? How much testing and what kind of testing took place? Well, the, the early testing all started on dynamometer, and then when the, when the engine started uh, fulfilling its uh, expectation, then they would put them in, uh, in cars. So we would be testing at dynamometer continuously, and simultaneously we had cars out on the road collecting miles. Okay. Um, let me jump over to Ted for a second. Ted, you are, are a former, you know, it's funny because I, I, I drank Coca-Cola too. So you're a f- former Coca-Cola guy and uh, now with Ford Archives, but you were also involved with uh, Ford Ar- uh, Archives, um, Coca-Cola Archives. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the archive, if you will, industry, because I was looking on here and, it, and I, I kept some terms came up. Digital Asset Management, Academy of Certified Archivists. So what exactly is an archivist? An archivist. Uh, well, archivist. hey, you've just you've just gotten to hear what I get to do on a daily basis. I've got the best job in the world because I get to listen to the folks like Mose just educate me from the ground floor up. And, hey, Mose, how are you? It's good to good to hear your voice. Uh, so, yes, thank but you. Back to the question. An, an archivist takes care of history. We we take care of the original documents, the original things that document a company, a society. You know, the National Archives keeps the papers of American history, of our government, et cetera. In the case of a corporate archivist, I'm, uh, I'm one of a group of three to 500. Uh, numbers vary over the years of, of uh, individuals that take care of corporate archives. Uh, as you mentioned, I was the Coca-Cola archivist for many years and enjoyed it. I've been at Ford now for almost three years and love every minute of it. Uh, before that, I was the Bobby Jones archivist. I took care of the collections of the uh, the great golfer Bobby Jones, and I uh, served for a while as the Atlanta Braves archivist. So uh, uh, I've, I've had four great American icons that I've been fortunate to work for. Uh, I always say I've got the best job in the world, and, and I, I firmly believe that at Ford I do, and, and getting to work with great folks like Mose and, and Don and uh, to document the fantastic history of the Ford Motor Company is exciting. I, I he just most just educated me. I, I was actually taking notes while he was talking to you. Well, and I, I'm going to follow back up with an email with him. What, see, it's interesting because see, this it worked out really good that we kind of tied this in with both you guys because. I have questions. I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm a historian, but I like a lot of the the, 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 the history aspect of it and the, how things evolved. And I thought it was kind of interesting because I thought, okay, well, this would be kind of interesting because I have some questions. And my question to you would be is the stuff that we basically discussed, that's some of the stuff that you would have to archive, correct? So that information is valuable and you would want to have access to that so that uh, for future references for guys like me or down the road that want to kind of know exactly what went on on the project, just like we we're talking about with the sketch and the SK and the XE and stuff, because that comes up at swap meets all the time. People don't know what that is. I actually have a set of XE Boss 302 cylinder heads that I found in a machine shop one time. He didn't know what they were. I knew what XE was. I wasn't going to say anything, so 
I've got those laying around just as, uh, you know, and then I found some other stuff but uh, over the years, too. And in fact, it's funny because I found a carburetor that had a Shelby, an S7MS number on it one time, but it had an SK on it. And to this day, I regret that. And that was the first time I ever saw that. I didn't know whether that was real or somebody stamped it on there. And in between the time, I was running around. And I was at Atlanta Motor Speedway at the, at the Shelby meet in Atlanta in 1995. And I was running around trying to get information. Nobody knew anything about it. When I went back, the guy bought it, sold it for 75 bucks. Who knows what that carburetor is worth today. But anyway, all right. So uh, I'm assuming you're, you're from Atlanta since you went to Emory, right? Are you a native uh, Georgia yeah. guy? A native Georgia guy, but I'm actually sitting in my house in, in uh, Grace Point Park in Michigan. I moved the family up here. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a great example of how we work. And so last year when the movie Ford vs. Ferrari came out, Mose was gracious and came over and did an event in our archives. And in that media event, we pulled out the raw documents, things like the GT program book, which uh, nobody's ever seen this before. You know, it's very... It's very rare, and we, we pulled out the original documents that documented the work of the Ford Motor Company in winning the race at Le Mans in 1966, and we, we got Mose to tell the story. You'll have to get him to, to finish with the story of the, the fishing twine on, the, on the, the piston, Mose. I think I'm getting that right. So we keep the raw materials, but at the same time, we rely on our retirees. We rely on the Ford Motor Company personnel to help us interpret because, you know, frankly, as, as the Ford Motor Company archivist over the entire company, I have to take a 35,000-foot view on our heritage. And when a specific project comes up like Bronco, which we worked yeah. so deeply with that team, or GT, where, where we worked with Moe's, or Mustang, <laughs> there's going to be some fun Mustang stuff we reveal later this year. We, we've got the raw documents, and, and we can work with other people to help uh, help document them. Yeah, I I've had the opportunity to visit uh, Ted's uh, department. It is awesome. Let me tell you, it's uh, with my interest and my background, I have a lot of questions, too. And I'm sure that his department's got the answers. So I was uh, really blessed to be uh, included in Ted's event, and it went off quite well. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, magazine and media people there that was their mouths just dropped open when they looked at Ted's collection. Ted, are you and 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 Mo, you can answer this in a second too as well. Ted, are you still finding out? And this this seems to this is why I've been kind of you know in my show when I started this a long time ago I wanted to get all the guys the older guys that are around before they go away on my show because I'd rather hear it live from them. And uh, and 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 I'm and I'm fortunate. I've had some really cool people, and of course, my 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 biggest one was obviously Carol Shelby because I'm a huge Shelby fan, and I, I was able to have him on the show. But are you still finding out information from former employees that's basically vital information in the history of Ford, Ford Racing, Ford Production that is not archived in writing anywhere? It's just stuff that these guys know because it's in their head, and they were there when it happened. We do find it out like that, and at the same time, we also, uh, in fact, Mose just sent uh, Don Eistat to us. Don had some car craft materials because he was an engineer that transitioned from car craft to Ford. And so this would have been outside the purview of, of what Ford, I mean, Ford and car craft obviously were, were jointly aligned, but he brought in some car craft documents on the GT40 program that we had never seen before. We now, uh, uh, via, via Mose and via Don, who had the actual documents, 
we actually have all the test results from the 1964 test trials of the of the, the initial GT cars at Le Mans. So we, I can tell you lap for lap what they did on in April, uh, I believe it was April 18th or 17th, uh, as they went around the track at Le Mans. So, and Don sat there for a couple of hours and told me stories as well uh, about the 67 race where he was critically involved. So we learned from our retirees and then we learned from documents that may have slipped out the back door at Ford. Uh, we, we won't be the first company and, and uh, nor the last that some of the documents uh, migrated home <laughs> uh, outside of where we could control them. So we, we learn every single day, and that, that's the beauty of the job. Well, the inter- is a discovery of something new like that. Yeah, you know, and the interesting thing is, is okay, so Pete Brock's a real good friend of mine. He was obviously with Carol Shelby back in the day, and uh, he's been on my show. We've talked about a number of things, but Alan Grant was on my show here uh, a couple times uh, a year or so ago, and Alan Grant was, when Ford was racing in, in, in England and in Europe, uh, broad Broadly, I think is what it was with Lola. Okay, yep. did the original Eric Broadly. right? Yeah, Eric, 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 Broadly. right? So Alan had some stories too, and then how the whole thing kind of evolved between you know Ford said, "Hmm, you already got this car here, so let's just take this." And it's real interesting. But here's what's weird: is I got some sort of an email. In this email, it said something, and I don't know if it was through through the Henry Ford, because I'm on their mailing list, or if it was through Peterson Museum, and it's referenced something about the Ford GT's documents that, that were discovered, and it referenced on uh, Eichstadt. And so that was the name I went after first, and then Moe's name came up. And then I started researching Moe's, and Moe's was accessible, and I actually listened to an audio uh, a podcast that he did about a year or two ago with somebody out of New York. Interesting uh, deal. And then I was trying to find him. I couldn't find him, so I, I, I'm friends with Kevin Kennedy, so I tag te- text Kevin Kennedy, and then uh, there's another gentleman by the name of John... Uh, I can't think pronounce Delamoche. it. That's it, Delamoche. He had contacted me, so I'm going back and forth with everybody, um, trying to figure out how to get everybody together here, at one point, and it just worked out beautifully. So I want to thank everybody involved, Kevin, John, you guys, and I also look forward to having Don on the show, because me being a big Boss 429 guy, I'm sure that uh, even though um, Don had left Carcraft at the time, he probably has some connections, some some stories about that, too. But, but, but Mose, tell us about the GT40 program and how that kind of, because we got a little bit of time left here, and I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, I was also involved in uh, our Colin Chapman, Jim, uh, <clears throat> uh, Indianapolis program. And uh, it was right after I spent two years on that program with test trips and, and tuning engines at the track at Indy in 63, uh, 64, uh, when they closed down our involvement with Indy at that time as a, as a Ford Motor Company. So that would have been and, with uh, Colin Chapman, Lotus, Ford, yeah. and Jimmy yep. Clark, right? Jimmy Clark is true. Okay. Yep. I traveled with all the car on all the test trips and did the engine tuning, swapping modifications and whatever. But uh, when that program um, uh, was discontinued, we were just in the drawing stages of Mr. Ford wanting to go to uh, Lamar, his uh, ordeal with uh, uh, Ferrari. Ferrari had <laughs> just about to come to a high point, and that's when he decided that he was uh, going to race there. So I was snatched up to join that program, and then I was, uh, I was uh, on that and did the engine tuning and dynamometer work uh, for 66 and 67. Interesting. Now, th- what's the story about the string on the uh, oh. 
Tell us about that. What's that about? Did okay, it's, it's, it's kind of lengthy, but uh, on, um, on, on, on the Le Mans 427, uh, we tried to make it bulletproof as much as we could. And in the attempt to uh, uh, overcome a blown head gasket or prevent a blown head gasket, we used Cooper rings around each cylinder. Well, when the cylinder head was clamped and torqued down to the block, it didn't quite meet the block. Uh, the crushing of the of the O-rings around the cylinders kind of held it up about uh, anywhere from seven to twelve thousandths of an inch. There was a gap there. So you well, had O-ring head gaskets instead of a regular flat long gasket. So they were yeah, actually neural. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we had uh, uh, gas-filled O-rings around the cylinder, and then high temperature O-rings around the oil. Uh, pressure feeds and the water water passages, but anyway, this gap of seven thousandths or twelve thousandths, whatever it happened to be, it varied. Um, we found uh, that uh, the oil from the Tappet Valley would weak down and and drain through this little uh, gap and uh, spill out onto the headers and cause a fire. And we found that at Dynamometer. So. Um, the engineers come up with a, a product called Hylomar. Um, Hylomar was designed in uh, late uh, World War One and early World War Two for aircraft sealing. It was sort of a, a beeswax consistency and uh, with a blue dye in it, and you would butter it on and, and crush that. Well, because we have a vacuum. Uh, artificial and and created vacuum in the crankcase of the engine, um, that would wax would get hot and then the the crankcase pressure would push it out and we would end up with a leak. So in order to stop that, we had to put some kind of a solid barrier up along the top edge of the cylinder head ceiling, and we decided that the best thing and and I didn't find it. One of my partners found it. Uh, he come up with the idea that uh, he would use trout fishing line, and it was collapsible, and it was the style. It was a style of fish line designed to float on the water when you're fly fishing. So anyway, we found that laying a string of that there and embedded into the hylomar wax, that it, the, the vacuum or the crankcase pressure would not move the seal. So. Just before leaving for Lamar on the afternoon shift, after uh, they ran out of what they called string. Okay, <laughs> so they, so they just picked up a string not much thicker than uh, and robust as as kite string or store string, and they used that. Well, that did not hold the barrier. So when John Holman was testing. Uh, the GT car with the engine in it uh, around the airport, uh, um, excess airport runways there in Charlotte, uh, getting the car ready to ship to New York, uh, then on to Le Mans, uh, they found uh, oil coming out and getting on the headers. So they uh, they notified the engineering, and the engineering department come down and says, hey, we needed the mechanic that uh, we best trust to go out and visit the home and Moody and take tear down these two engines, pull the heads, and restore the the seal. Well, 
they come and selected me, uh, and I had about two hours to, to get home, and I lived only a couple miles from uh, the engineering center, uh, pack a suitcase to pack the tools and, and get on a plane to go to Charlotte to make this repair. Well, about the time I got to Charlotte, I got word that um, Carol Shelby was uh, shaking down his cars, and the same thing occurred. So uh, I I ended up in Charlotte there with tools and a bar and everything, but I didn't have the string. So I asked uh, the partner I was working with there, one of Holman's guys, is there a fish and tackle shop nearby? And, of course, near the Catawba River there, there was, certainly. So he run <laughs> me down to this bait store, and I go in there with a pair of my kilometers, and I'm drawing this fish line through the micrometers set at 21,000. So I wanted to have some kind of a drag. I knew that it was the right thickness. And they were looking at me very strangely about measuring <laughs> fish lines with a micrometer. Anyway, purchased, purchased the, the fish line, went back to Holman's, worked all through the night, got his two cars put together and warmed up to make sure there was no leaks or anything like that, adjusted the valves, and left Charlotte and dirty clothes and no sleep on a plane for Los Angeles to Shelby shop so that to tear those two engines down and do the same operation. Well, I, so I ended up, I ended up about 32 hours without sleep on a plane going back home and my wife had packed the suitcase and got me all ready. And because the next day I was headed for Lamont. So that was, <laughs> that was, and 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 that that little trip worried me. I uh, I didn't sleep even after that, as tired <laughs> as it was, because re- you got to remember I was the last guy to touch those engines, and it bothered me quite a bit. <laughs> ooh, ooh! Well, you're the reason we had a one, two, three win then in 1966, right? Well, I contributed a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's that's an amazing story. Yeah, Ted, um, you. Um, are with Ford Archives, and we got a few minutes left, but you know what? I have so many questions, and this is turning into such an interesting show. Would you guys be willing to come on the show next week? Could we do like part two, both of you guys? Sure. Okay, yeah. I would. I would yeah. look, happy to. Yeah, well, I can't speak for Mose, but I'm happy to. Okay, Mose, would you be able to come on next week again? We do the same thing. Is there anything left to say? Oh, absolutely. Well, <laughs> listen, I have questions about Ford production and stuff like that. And then, of course, you know, some of this will be probably interesting for uh, um, Ted as well. But, I mean, I would like to, you know, because, listen, here's the thing. Is I'm a parts junkie. I come from the wrecking yard world, so I'm a car, so that's what I do is I take cars. Yeah. I'm a walking Ford parts book in a way. Um, well, to answer your question, Robert, yes, I, uh, I would certainly love to participate again because uh, – uh, Ted preserves and conserves, and I like to keep the legend alive. Well, here's the deal, and then I wanted to talk a little bit about the the, the museum a little bit, and then and the mansion. There's other things that I'd like to talk about. So, but I'd like sure. to hear some more stories about Lamont. I'm sure my listeners would love to hear that stuff too. And keep in mind, my show's archived and podcast as well. So, there's something we can put in the Ford. Uh, uh, you know, we we'll give it to the Ford archives there because um, this is valuable information. I mean, you know, this is really really cool. But there's a that, that's the thing that 
people always want to know is like they always go, you know, I'd like to meet some Ford guy that worked on the Ford assembly line to build the Mustang or the Pinto or the Fairlane or the Galaxy or whatever, yeah. you know, Ford. And then, of course, the engines, obviously, and then the transmissions. But I'd like to find out a little bit more about the development part, you know, talk a little bit more about the engines and uh and and things like that and then some of the specifics that you had to get into and then some of the stories some of the frustrations that you went through and little and and some of the development changes so i think that would be very very interesting and i'd love to have both you guys on next week and then you know um ted you can talk a little bit about a little bit more about uh, you know some of the interesting things the uh, archive uh um, aspects of uh, what you're doing with ford certainly yeah happy to Okay. Well, gentlemen, we are out of time. I want to thank you guys very much for um, – no, normally I don't talk this much, but I, I'm, I'm like, geez, I want to ask some questions. Uh, you know. And uh, But the stories, keep in mind, people love to hear stories. And um, you know, it was a real pleasure to have you guys come on here and uh, definitely look forward to doing part two next week. All right. Well, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. If yeah. you can get Don as well, you can make it a trio. Uh, yeah, well, we'll see if we can yeah, get Don. Yeah. Yeah. Well. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can pass on Don's number, and uh, and uh, he's a very bright engineer, even at, uh, as a geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, hey, I want to thank both of you guys for coming on Nostalgic Radio Cars. Stay in touch. Uh, all the best to you guys. Happy New Year, and uh, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Hey, I want to thank my guys, uh, my Ford friends here, and uh, don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Talk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. for the most legendary and fascinating people in the motorsports world, as well as music and stuff like that. But uh, we haven't done cars in a while, and I think we're going to do this. We're also going to do, for you Chevrolet guys, we're going to do some segments on Chevrolet. i got some pretty surprise people coming on, and also for the Mopar guys. So anyway, in the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.